Good morning, I'm Paul, host of the new PL, and I'm very grateful you're taking the time to join us today. We believe business needs a new PL, one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss, because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose, and your leadership has a clear vision and focus and strength and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. Just before we start this week's conversation, I wanted to announce that on the 26th of April, that's next month, we're rolling out the first of our leadership programs and workshops. This one's titled Creative Thinking for Leaders. Creativity and creative thinking are the, the keys to a more successful and prosperous future for business. And this five-week video-based tutorial course busts some of the key myths around creativity and creative thinking and offers participants a framework to help free their thinking, embrace their creativity, and help to embed commercial creativity, that's creativity with a commercial purpose, into the heart of business. So just go to principlesandleadership.com, click on the Creative Thinking for Leaders icon to pre-register your interest in this course. This week on the new PL, we had the privilege of speaking to Antonia Hock, Global Head of the Ritz-Carlton Leadership Centre, part of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group. Antonia has extensive experience in leading high-impact business units and driving transformation in customer experience, high-performing culture, and employee engagement. Her passion for highly differentiated customer experiences grounded in employee excellence has created exceptional brand loyalty across a range of segments and industries. So Antonia, a very warm welcome to the new PL. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you, Paul. It's an absolute pleasure to be here this morning. Thank you very much. Your global head of the Ritz-Carlton Leadership Center, uh, part of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group. So I think it would be great to give the audience a bit of an overview of what you do in your role as, uh, as head of that leadership center. So I have the distinct pleasure of leading a group of uh, global uh, ladies and gentlemen and professionals that work with large and medium-sized companies to evolve both their talent experience and their customer experience based on the best practices of the Ritz-Carlton. Mm -hmm. So we're involved in, and we have the opportunity to uh, help lots of companies transform and really think about these critical issues around employees, guests, fans, patients, consumers, and where they want to go, where the world is going. Today, all stakeholders, and you've cited a number of them there, but all stakeholders, internal and external, require much more transparency and trust and authenticity and principled leadership. And they want CEOs and leaders who can demonstrate a commitment to the environment, to ethical business, as you've alluded to, show empathy for their employees and the communities they're part of and so on. However, this also requires investment and resources and a continued commitment, often without a discernible return on investment, at least in the short term. And some CEOs will, will vocalize their commitment to the above, but not always walk the talk, if you like. So how do you work with CEOs and leaders in the leadership center to ensure that, I guess, what they're saying authentically reflects what the business actually delivers? Well, I believe it all starts, um, for us at least, it really starts with introspection. And you started to, to, um, to allude to that in, in your question. When we work with an organization and, and I think any good project or any good um, transformative piece of work starts with discovery. 
So the first piece of, of how do you help leaders and, and businesses be authentic? Because I think we're living in an era where authenticity and purpose um, for any business in any industry is critically important. But anytime you're looking to, to drive that kind of behavior, you must start with um, the ability to be self-critical. Mm -hmm. And I think bringing in a third party to help you reflect upon both your areas where you excel today and you're, where you're, you're aspiring to be a certain kind of company, and you are, as well as areas where you really have opportunity. And one of those, as you just highlighted, is kind of that disconnect between what you say and what you do. And being authentic means you connect those two pieces. But it starts with having um, someone come in and really help you understand how authentic are you. Uh, and, and then from there, you can start to put an, an action plan in place. But that it's great because I think the desire to hear real um, reflection is that critical first step for anybody. Uh, and and leaders, leaders that don't want that are not ultimately going to drive an authentic business. So there's no point in going on the journey. Starts with reflection. And how do you work with a leader who wants to discover or believes they need to discover or have been told they have to discover, but don't have the self-awareness to recognize and to accept the critical discovery that needs to come as part of that initial period. You know, there's, there's, a, there's one thing to say, I am self-aware and I'm open to it. There's another thing to work with yourself or work with an external party like the Leadership Center to, to genuinely and authentically assess where you come from and how do you break down that barrier between what a leader believes they should do and what they actually need to do? That's a, it's a great question. And I think it really gets at the heart of human behavior. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's, that's what's driving um, real change today. And I think the uh, pandemic has really highlighted how important human behavior is yes. uh, to, to everything. Um, and, and, how, and, and how we live and how we do business. So breaking, breaking down those barriers comes down, in my view, to a lot of um, emotional intelligence. You really need an executive coach or a facilitator that can help interpret how to get the best out of you. Yeah. Because every leader that needs, and look, everyone has something they're working on, and the best way to enact change is to be able to really understand what motivates that human being, what helps them break through their barriers. It's like sports psychology, right? You've gotta have someone that can help identify how best to get the results that you're trying to, to drive for when you can't get them on your own. Yeah. So I think there's, you know, there's gotta be EQ in your toolkit. There's gotta be really strong business acumen that you're already bringing to the table. It can't be a purely academic pursuit where, you know, you just went to school and you learned how to do it. Um, I think the best facilitators and coaches for executives actually have come from that world yes. uh, and understand the pressures and the anxiety and the work that has to be done. So a combination of kind of this broad toolkit can really help leaders uh, make breakthroughs. Yeah. When I first came across the, the Ritz-Carlton Leadership Center, it was through an article that you had actually written, um, that you had published. And I thought it was a great example of a traditional business that had creatively and innovatively thought about how its business could evolve, not using the real obvious high value or value add, but where the value multiplier was that was perhaps more discrete or less obvious than the traditional uh, model. And many traditional businesses, I think, 
They look at how they can load more value on top of what they already offer. So let's say in the case of hotels, how they can improve the customer experience and, and that's natural and that's fine. However, it appears what you've done with the leadership center is to look at the customer first of the hotel and not the business first. And you've thought about what they really need, not just about what you want to offer. And then you've looked at something that is meeting that need, but completely different to the, to the competitors. You know, a high proportion of the hotel's business uh, or clients are, are business leaders or senior business leaders, and you've targeted their needs and ambitions as well as their accommodation experience. Lots of CEOs and leaders are going to need to think more laterally and creatively in the next 12 months as we come out of the pandemic. So I'd really like to explore how the leadership centre came up with this decision, this methodology to look at the hotel and look at what the ambitions were as well as the experience and what advice as a result you can offer other businesses who need to reimagine their own process. Well, I think first and foremost, you really have to acknowledge that um, businesses are nothing without their customers. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a very simple statement, but it's amazing how convoluted that can become in, a, in the corporate space, yeah. especially when you have shareholder pressure and you have pressure um, from lots of different uh, lots of different levers, financial pressure being probably the per- most predominant. Suddenly you are making unnatural or you are making um, compromising choices in the name of profit. Mm-hmm. And disciplined leaders, and I would put the, I would, I would say the, the leadership center very much focuses on uh, this kind of a message and working with clients to help them understand this. Disciplined leaders understand where the ultimate financial performance will come from. And it will come from two places. One, uh, the, the end customer or patient fan, wh- whomever you, you, you serve ultimately. And I use that word very carefully, mm-hmm. who you serve. And then the other um, component there is certainly employees and companies are in the service of employees as well. So focusing on those areas and using a measure of discipline to do so, we fundamentally believe that profit will flow behind that. Mm -hmm. Um, When you focus on customers and what their real needs are and you stay in touch with the way they are evolving, because consumers, in my view, there's been such a compression of consumer behavior and call it the last five years, really accelerated in the last 12 with um, uh, COVID. But we were already on that trajectory of generational change, Gen Z, millennial, um, you know, much has been made of their preferences and their choices. But I'd say those are even impacting baby boomers. And that behavior is changing. You look at TikTok, right? Lots of very young people love TikTok. But the more and more I look at my feed, I've got baby boomers in there. I've got every everybody is is taking it. So there's so consumer behavior is very fluid. Mm -hmm. And staying on top of those needs and not just the products they want, but how they want to purchase them, how they want to experience them, the relationship they want to have with your company. If you get that right, profit will flow. Yeah. Same conversation around employees. Uh, and, and here we understand there are operational pressures and there are financial pressures around you know, how you, how you uh, think about um, your overall cost profile. But if you take great care of your employees, this is a fundamental principle for our, for the hotel company, mm-hmm. they will do a lot right for your company, whether that is thinking about how they spend, um, whether that is dedicating those extra hours to doing what's right, 
thinking creatively and being in an environment where they can be creative, which benefits the business. If you can get those, that equation right, uh, and not just turn up to every meeting thinking about your PL. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what you can pull through from a, a profit standpoint. You've touched on some of the examples in your previous answer, but before the pandemic, I wondered what two or three of the key challenges were that businesses were struggling to overcome in your experience. You know, those conversations you were having in the leadership center and whether the pandemic will fundamentally change the direction of those challenges and whether it'll be for better or for worse? I think some of the challenges that were happening um, before the pandemic have been accelerated and I think some have changed. So I'll take it into kind of two parts. I think before the pandemic, there was kind of this, I'll call it flirting with the idea of purpose and purpose-driven businesses. But I think predominantly that was a lot of rhetoric. Yeah. Uh, I think a handful of companies were really committed to that. And you can look at, um, you know, I would point to some of the big outfitters in the world, like, you know, REI or North Face, you know, uh, uh, Patagonia, always very, very purpose-driven um, businesses, uh, knew that was good business and, and were prepared to ride that wave. But many more were not thinking about that at all. Yeah. Now, uh, post-pandemic, there's been a radical shift towards being purpose-driven and what you stand for and who you are as a company. And the degree of inspection by consumers is dramatically increased. Mm-hmm. So that'd be the first like major shift I would highlight. Um, the second is people have always, and companies have been focused on trying to evolve the experience for a long time. That's been a buzzword and last five years, everybody's talking about customer experience. But I'd say there's been sort of a, uh, a wide range of what that means. And many companies were making small incremental change, but were unprepared to make radical shift in their business model to address consumer behavior change. The pandemic has accelerated that dramatically. We knew there'd be a shift to digital. We knew there would be new ways that consumers want to engage with businesses, but the pandemic was a forcing function um, to really compress that change. So now we're seeing curbside pickup, well, that was never really a concept before, but that's probably here to stay forever. I mean, yeah. there's there's people that are always going to want to pull up and pick up their items and go. We're all busy. And so those kinds of things might never have come into being without the pandemic. And then I'd say the third big trend uh, was this concept of taking care of your employees or thinking about how to attract talent retention and employee models have always been important to businesses. Mm-hmm. And people have been thinking about how do we impact that across generations and how do we retain the right talent? How do we help people be successful? All of a sudden in the world of the pandemic, there's a strong light on this. And there's now, I, I would call it a trend, but I hope it's more than that. I hope it's a movement towards employee experience as really a root metaphor. And I would almost call it an employee revolution. Employees are driving requests now for work-life balance, for work from anywhere, um, for connectivity to leaders. And um, yeah, I talked about it in an article a couple of weeks ago. There's never been such a focus on kind of EQ and making sure you're really adapting to employees. I hope that trend is here to stay. Again, I'd say we were kind of thinking about it before the pandemic, and now it's really front and center for most companies. Two points I'd love to explore a little bit more from that answer. The first is around purpose. You, you're absolutely right in saying that people were flirting with it or leaders were flirting with it. It certainly come to the fore. 
there's also a lot of skepticism around purpose in the business community as well and the the difference between the fluff end of it if you like and and the and the depth of the commercial attachment to it i wondered whether you felt that part of that skepticism around purpose is because of the the lack of definition of what it truly means and the conflating of mission and purpose you know a mission is what's driving the company but a purpose is what underpins that mission but i think often there's a conflation of the two and perhaps leaders and ceos sometimes feel they're delivering purpose when they're actually delivering mission i 100 percent agree my point of view on on these topics in general and just you know how i personally like to move through the world is i want to see the goods so the, you know, when it comes down, everybody has like big, beautiful mission statements. And I'd even go so far as, you know, very lofty, purposeful goals. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's how it trickles down to the individual consumer, what their experience looks like and how do you really back it up? Whether that is um, how you treat your employees. I mean, this is the classic one. And I've seen so many of these um, just, I'd say over the last three to four months. Uh, you you have a public persona around how you wish to be seen treating employees, but the private persona is something entirely different. What goes on when the boardroom door is closed is something entirely different. Yeah. And consumers now are watching uh, and they have the tools and the capabilities now to, to, to see the dissonance between what is said and what is done. Mm -hmm. And whether it's your mission or your purpose or however you want to define those, those topics or those items, it really comes down to behavior. And that's where companies have been hamstrung over the last, uh, and, and have been, um, I'll say sort of outed over the last couple of quarters. Great, great statements, no action. You just said it, it's fluffy. Yeah. And they, they wish to be seen that way, but you know, being seen and, and doing are two very different things. Yeah. The other point I wanted to explore a little bit more, you've talked about the employee revolution and that there is a dramatic shift and you know leaders need to look at the employee experience with more empathy and understanding and, and building a better experience around that. Um, some of the leaders I speak to in, in my consulting work, often it comes back to me, well, what can I expect in return? You know, it's the quid pro quo and, and the pendulum always swings so far in anything in, in business or in life generally. And I'd love to get your view on that because it is, I wouldn't say there's a resistance to moving towards the employee experience, but clearly from, an, from a leader's perspective, they're looking for how do they get the commercial return out of that enhanced investment, if you like, and the employee experience. And I'd love to get your feel on that. Well, I'll, I'll probably be the unpopular voice here. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I. Uh, and I'll, I'll, before we talk about the business piece, I'll, I'll speak a little bit from a, a personal lens. At the point that you are doing something with the expectation yeah. of return, especially when it comes to something that is tied to wellness or is tied to um, uh, individual sort of human happiness and, and con mm -hmm. connectivity, you're probably already doing the wrong thing. Yeah. And as a leader, I think there has to be a mindset shift. Obviously financials, I've already said it on this podcast, financials will always play in and, and you must think about that as a leader. But oftentimes making those kinds of investment in, in human conditions and in human um, engagement are not gonna have immediate tangible ROI. 
And if you're trying to go at it from that perspective, you're probably going to be unsuccessful. Yeah. Now, what you will see over time and what can be measured over time as you make investments in, in, uh, in things that really matter, um, and I would say to certainly start from that point of view, you must be open to hearing employee feedback in a real and authentic and safe and confidential way. But over time, what you will see is lower attrition. That has real value to a business. Um, higher customer SAT scores because you have people in roles that really care and are invested in your business. And if you can, that's the magic, in my view, the magic sauce for making employee investment. When you have employees that actually care about your business, it's amazing what they will do to make your business better. Mm -hmm. So over time, you, there are metrics you can put in place, but I think if you're starting that journey, trying to see some kind of, of um, ROI in the first 30 days, in the first quarter, we see leaders all the time that come to us with that. Well, what am I going to see in two weeks? Yes. Well, come on, behavior change, we all know from our personal lives takes time. And when we're working with a client at the leadership center, we start to say, you could see something in a couple of quarters, but you really are on a, about a year long journey before you're gonna see tangible impact to your business. And in there lies one of the fundamental conflicts in leadership, I think for business leaders today is that you have this tension between building a business with sustainable success over the medium term and implementing all of those things, internal and external, your own self-awareness and critical evaluation, your the, the betterment of employees, a more successful and sustainable commercial or purposely commercial model. And then you have a shareholder community that has a an expectation for a quick return. And leaders have to manage those conflicting expectations. And, and it puts a lot of pressure on leaders, I think. Do you think that the scrutiny that is applied from both sides sometimes prevents leaders from being courageous, making those mistakes, trying those things and learning from them because every mistake has the potential to be remonstrated by one side or the other. Absolutely. I mean, no, no, no question, those um, competing forces oftentimes create behavior in leaders that is uh, more fear-driven. Yeah. Uh, fear of making a mistake, fear of fear, fear of losing their job over making a mistake. Um, that culture of fear is is pretty pervasive yes. in most businesses. Um, I do think, though, one one way that leaders can can be successful in that space and, and all of those various forces you just outlined is through a model of simplicity. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes one of the areas where leaders open themselves up to the most um, sort of difficult situations. They try to do too much. Yeah. We just talked about the employee experience. You don't have to revolutionize that model overnight. What you do need to do as a leader, and, and I think what we want from all of our leaders, is a focus on the one or two most impactful, most critical things that really can start the journey. Yeah. It's the difference between sort of making those incremental and smart investments versus a big bang approach in any of the areas you just highlighted. And the temptation is to try to make radical change, I think, often. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's needed, but more often than not, you can minimize your risk by taking the time to pick the one or two disciplined items that you're really going to go after. So when you look out to the business community at the moment, and you cited a couple of brands earlier on, who do you see or who do you look to as, as great examples who have 
struck this balance between shareholder demands and employee wellness or purpose and commercial success or authenticity and and the courage to innovate and make the mistakes who do you look towards and cite as examples of someone who's got that balance right we talked about it a little bit um, on a previous call but i am so impressed with jim shark mm -hmm. and they have done an incredible job of coming into a highly saturated space and capturing the hearts and minds, not only of the consumer, but you look at their employees and the way their employees show up, um, whether that's on social media, whether that's in, in gyms, wherever it may be. You can, and, and then you also look at the financial performance mm -hmm. um, and, and the market cap and the direction that they're heading. I think they have a great sort of magical model right now that's optimizing across a lot of different things all at the same time. And I guess there's a, you can't underestimate, and, and you're right in terms of the simplicity, you can't underestimate the, the simplicity, but clarity of the messaging that sits beneath all of that to enable trust. And then trust creates ambassadors and you've got to let those ambassadors out and, and advocate on your behalf of social media. But it all comes down to a very clear and concise and simplistic message mm -hmm. that breeds that trust and authenticity to start with, I think. I agree. And I also think uh, something we talked about a little earlier as well, people right now want to be part of a movement. Yes. And Gymshark has done a beautiful job of making their corporate mission feel truly like a movement. Mm. It's like, you, you know, you, you, see, you go to the gym and you know, I work out here um, in the DC area and I see Gymshark gear everywhere at my gym. And people are so proud that somehow they're championing this new uh, company and it, and it feels like it's the big guys versus the little guys. And there's just such a, a, a transfer of that message into the life of the individual, not just the company. And the fact that Gymshark's been able to make that happen, I think is pretty magical. It does pose a question, when does a brand become part of the challenged and not part of the challenging you know when when the i grew up in 70s and 80s i was i was surfing in, in new zealand and the the big brands then or the emerging brands were the rip curls and the o'neills and the quicksilvers of the world because they'd been established in the 70s but now they are the behemoths and now you've got lots of younger funkier agile brands coming into the surfing community and they are seen as the establishment, once they were the anti-establishment, when does a brand, I think uh, Gymshark's been valued at over a billion US um, dollars or a billion British pounds, certainly. When does a brand become the established rather than the, rather than the challenger? It, first of all, it's Paul, we have something in common. I love to surf too. <laughs> so who knew, right? Yeah. Um, but what I'd say about that, and I think those are great brands to kind of highlight and, and, and think through, especially because that community is, is very vocal. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, when you look at Rip Curl, you look at some of those brands, I think it's less about your financial size and scale right. and a lot more about how, I'll say, I'll use the word radical, but how radical and revolutionary you maintain your point of view in the world because challengers are always going to come in under you and they will come with a disruptive message or a message that is, I'd say two, two things, disruptive or localized. Mm 
where they're the champion of a local community or they've tapped into a local population or demographic somehow that is driving their message to market. And that's a group of people that are very, very supportive and usually quite, quite loud and quite um, uh, um, sort of ambassadors of that message. Or you've got disruptors that are coming with a brand new product and a brand new way of looking at your market. Mm-hmm. As a big brand, it's so easy to become status quo because you get critical mass and financial success. And then you just, fo- we talked about it earlier, you just focus on that. Yeah. And you focus on bigger distribution channels and broader messaging. And before you know it, you're in big box stores and, you know, you've got people outside of the surfing community who want to wear your gear. And mm-hmm. that's great for your financial performance, but it opens you up to disruption and kind of localization competition. So yeah. you've got to maintain that authenticity and that focus and constantly be driving your purpose and tapping into those new communities and staying true to who you are. That's the one other piece. I would say we see people diversify at the big at the and it's that's what everybody wants to do right more financial performance more diversity of um, segmentation and before you know it your brand is completely diluted yeah. and now you are considered something to be challenged not a challenger yeah yeah every crisis creates opportunity um, what is your advice to leaders in terms of the genuinely the next three things they could do tomorrow to look for opportunity across their business to help them accelerate as we slowly emerge from the pandemic? I'll I'll take that from a couple of different directions. I think the first that I would say is every business right now is going to face a period of um, sort of radical innovation, Mm -hmm. no matter what segment you're in. Look, you could be in electric distribution and your consumers are going to be coming to you with brand new expectations of your behavior. Everybody has to innovate right now. And in order to innovate, you have to have a group of people working for you and a population that believes in your company and really, really wants to uh, see you be successful coming out of the pandemic. So whatever the state of your employee population is, your leadership population, I would say this, this is a critical moment to reflect and to make sure you are pulling that group of people together and that they are prepared and ready to take this step. And in an ideal world, you would have been doing that for the last 12 months as we've all been sitting at home. Um, yeah, you, you would be working through that. So that population is gonna be important. And if you aren't already in that place, you're gonna struggle in my view to, to, to work your way through this. The next um, set of items, so that would be my first thing. And look, look, if you haven't been on that journey, find the one or two things right now that can really help um, pull people together behind a common purpose and have a point of view and a mission for what you're gonna do across the next six to 12 months. So not a long-term vision, a short-term vision that people can really rally behind. The second thing I would say is to really be reflective about your consumer Mm -hmm. or your fan or your patient, um, your guest, whatever it may be and step back from, it's so tempting right now because everybody has financial challenges uh, unless you're in a sort of a darling segment. You've got to step back from financial performance for for a minute and think about what consumers really want. Uh, and, And how are you going to rise to that challenge. Can you identify what they really want? Can you understand the segments you need to um, capitalize on again in the next six to 12 months? Because that might be business survival for a lot of people. And what are the one or two things those those populations really want 
and thinking about that and giving people the freedom to think about that without the financials and then backing the financials in behind it. Are these ideas um, executable? If they're not, then how do we start to think about that? Where are the partnerships we can drive? Starting to think about your business model and then backing into the financials as opposed to being financially led. Yeah. Um, again, I think that's an important reflection point for businesses. And then the last, uh, probably the last thing I would say is having that connectivity and driving connection to other businesses mm -hmm. has never been more important. This right now is an ecosystem that we're all living in. It's not a, a you can no longer afford to be an isolated performer. The more you can connect to other businesses, whether you're a big business and you need to connect into kind of this movement of, of localization and supporting local businesses, or whether or not you have an opportunity to um, connect into other brands. I think we've seen here in the US, we've seen Target do a really interesting um, move here, I think, coming out of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, really connecting in and bringing um, more um companies into their threshold that really support this movement, being vocal about it, giving it advertising space. Uh, I get a newsletter and I had a newsletter with all these great local brands that this big brand is supporting. And those kinds of things, that connectivity and that ecosystem are going to be very important to performance across the next six to 12 months. Great advice. Many of the workshops and the programs you run in the Leadership Center are focused on how those attending can learn from the many, many years of best practices in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Group itself in terms of customer experience and total experience and leadership and brand management and so on. However, you know, leadership and learning, they're not static. They need to constantly evolve. How do you ensure that what you are delivering in the workshops and the programs are ahead of the trends and the, the changes in the business environment to ensure that they are up to date with what those leaders need to get from you? So this is one of my favorite questions because there's it's it's interesting, right? When you when you're doing something that's worked for, for 30 years, there's an underpinning there that is universal because you've already lived through a lot of market cycle when you've been doing something successfully for 30 years. You know that you have a funda you have a philosophy that's tied to execution that can allow you to innovate through any market cycle. Yeah. And that is one of the things, I've worked for a lot of brands. That's one of the things I love the most about the Ritz-Carlton philosophy is it's really grounded in some basic principles that applied well can help any business be successful. And I would highlight a few of those that just, I think since the dawn of time, human beings have enjoyed being surprised and delighted by other human beings. Mm -hmm. Like a basic fundamental principle that is, is universal. And I think can survive, I'll just pull that one out, that can survive any market turn. Yeah. Now the surprise and delight may look different. It may have a different channel execution. It may be digital, it may not be in person. Um, it may require you to utilize a different set of um, products. It may require a slightly different mindset. So focusing on that piece of the application of it, but staying true to a set of universal principles you know work. Yeah. Uh, and that's something I, our brand is built on. Um, I would highlight the surprise and delight. I'd also in highlight on, on the, I'd highlight on the employee side empowerment. 
since the dawn of time, human beings have wanted to be empowered to control their own destiny. Mm -hmm. And they've wanted to be around people that believe that they make good choices and whether they do or not all the time, but they, people want to believe that they are around people that believe in them. Yes. Again, a universal principle, the application may be different, but um, the principle remains the same. Yeah. And we're focused on that, particularly at this moment, getting through another market cycle. Those are two principles we've been using for 30 years. We're still using them and they're still working. <laughs> In one of your articles I read when I uh, did the research for this conversation, you stated you do not need to be a fearless warrior or some great focused achiever. You can often just need some acknowledgement and some self-belief. And I really loved this statement because it gets to the heart of a lot of what I discuss in my own leadership consulting and what I think is one of the fundamental contradictions in, in leadership teaching today, and that is confusing inspiration with aspiration and we can be inspired by others you know not just leaders but many people in communities and lives and public life more generally but we don't have to aspire to be like them or, or critically in business replicate their success so i wondered whether you thought some teaching and business books and so on actually set entrepreneurs and business owners and leaders up for failure because these methodologies don't recognize themselves the difference between inspiring someone and suggesting that someone aspires to be like someone else. I, um, I fundamentally and 100% agree with that statement. Um, I'm, I obviously read and, and um, stay abreast of a lot of the theories and trends, and there's some really great um, knowledge out there to be transferred through reading and learning from, from others, no question. Yeah. But I think it can be very dangerous when you move away from your utilizing your own experiences and your own and the application of your own life and your own lessons to fuel your performance. When you move away from that and you start to rely so heavily on theory and someone else's ideas and someone you're trying so hard to implement something someone's given you, yes. uh, you can really fall apart and, and tr learning to trust your instincts and be adaptable and flexible. It's that Rudyard um, Kipling poem, right? If uh, you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, right? It's, it's learning how to trust your, your own experiences while bringing in other knowledge. Because I agree, you, you, if you're trying to be someone else, uh, it's one thing to be inspired by their work. It's a whole nother to try to replicate it in your own life. Yes. It's very dangerous. Yeah. And I think leaders can very rapidly um, start having unnatural behavior when they do that. Yeah. Resilience and resilient leadership is another topic you write a lot on or, or present on. Um, and resilient leadership needs to lean heavily, I guess, on a resilient culture for it to be truly effective. You know, a resilient leader without a resilient team is quite limited in her or his effectiveness. However, everyone in business has a different definition and understanding of and belief in what defines resilience. So I wanted to get your views on how do you build a con culture of true resilience, and it's probably quite pertinent right now, but how do you build a culture of true resilience when I guess there's no single definition of it? I think it really comes down to two, two things, and, and I'll speak um, kind of leading uh, our business through this, this time. I really observe two important factors to, to having a resilient team. 
One is you have to create a space where it's okay to fail. Mm-hmm. And lots of people don't even like to use the word failure, but look, you got to call a spade a spade. Not everything works. Failure is real. And you have to be able to uh, create an environment as a leader. It's your responsibility to create a safe space uh, and to have that vision for the business where you can see where the failure points are possible. And it's okay for people to to try and fail because it will not have material long-term impact to the business um, because that teaches people that it's okay. And that's such an important part of being resilient. Mm -hmm. Nothing runs well all the time. The second piece is... Uh, really around empowering individuals to use their creativity and their thinking to be great business um, problem solvers. Resilience is about problem solving. And when you try to force people into a model or a process or a kind of bureaucratic approach, I believe you really stifle that. And as a leader, you've got to set up an environment where you can still harness that creativity and you're not so fearful of people. Back to that we talked about a little earlier, Mm -hmm. right? You're not fearful of people's creativity and ideas. So those two things have been very, very important and they're important to building a resilient culture. I think leaders have to reflect about, uh, really reflect on, are you the kind of leader that is doing those two things within your business? Even if you lead a very small team, three or four people, um, th- those are things you can drive through the way you speak to people, the way you engage with them, the way you encourage them, and the mm-hmm. way you catch them and support them when things don't go well. Yes. And just one final question before we, before we go. Um, we've talked a lot about the need for radical innovation and transformation, particularly over the last 12 months and what leaders need to think about and adopt and look like as we move forward. What are the leadership qualities that will define, in your view, the leaders of tomorrow or the leaders of the future? And how abundant are they in the leaders of today? Oh, that's a that's a question. We could have an entire podcast <laughs> on this question for sure. Uh, any of these questions, to be honest. Um, I think it's critically important. I probably, again, maybe the dissenting opinion here, but I think it's critically important to learn from uh, young people that are entering the workforce. Mm-hmm. I love um, the opportunity to stay naturally curious. I would put this as a critical uh, feature of, of leaders that are going to be successful long-term right now, as we live through a very compressed period of change. Mm-hmm. Curiosity and understanding how to lead different demographics will be critical to any leadership success. And I'd say that is a two-way street. If you are a brand new young entrepreneur coming up, the bias to hire only young people that also look and feel like you may not lead you to the best success. You are going to need some baby boomers. And learning as a young person how to lead that type of a demographic requires you to stay curious. Mm -hmm. Same thing if you are, uh, again, I'll take opposite ends of the spectrum. If you're a baby boomer, uh, I hear leaders all the time say, I don't understand how to relate to, to all these young people. I don't understand how to lead them. I don't, I don't agree with their values. And therefore, you know, I'm going to stick with what I know. That's the opposite of being curious. Mm-hmm. And in both of those situations, I think you set yourself up for failure. Yeah. Staying curious, staying open, staying flexible would be a, a clear highlight. Um, the other thing for, from my perspective 
is really focused on radical innovation. Mm -hmm. New ideas come from all kinds of places and continuing to stay open-minded. I guess this is also tied to curiosity, staying open-minded about changes that could come. Look, Uber's a wonderful example. People highlight that all the time. When, when did we ever think it was going to be realistic to get in a stranger's car and have a stranger that you ordered through your phone drive you someplace? Yeah. Sounds crazy. But then here we are with a brand new um, business model that's become very accepted and very for- pervasive very rapidly. Mm-hmm. Staying open-minded, staying curious. And the last thing I'll say is integrity. Uh, never been tied to purpose, tied to, to uh, how to show up in the world. You've got to lead from a place of integrity. And that ties back to the social movements we're living through, um, all, all, the, all of those things that have really come to the forefront uh, of late, leading with integrity and being prepared to stand up and dissent when you clearly know something is, uh, is, is going against yeah. what you believe. So those would be my three highlights. Well, courageous leadership is a great place to, uh, on which to end the podcast. So thank you very much, Antonia. It's been a A really insightful conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure. So if you'd like to learn more about what Antonia and her team delivers at the Ritz-Carlton Leadership Centre, please go to ritzcarltonleadershipcentre.com and you will also find the details in the notes that accompany this podcast. And as I mentioned in the intro, we would love to have you as part of our The New PNL community and love to have you pre-register for our exciting new course, Creative Thinking for Leaders. So go to principlesandleadership.com to subscribe to our newsletter and pre-register your interest in the Creative Thinking for Leaders course. And also don't forget to take a moment to review us or to rate us. We genuinely appreciate it and it all helps with our ratings and our rankings. And also don't forget to pop back on Friday this week for the new PNL to the Point, where we will analyze today's conversation with Antonia and offer a summary of some of the key points that you can take away and use in your business. So I'm Paul, host of the new PL. Thank you once again for listening and have a great day.